Beef Oberati's The Uprising on Poetry and Finance. I think it came out in 2011. But yeah, Bifo, big time philosopher from Italy on the autonomists movement, which is mm. like a sect of communism. Did yeah. you watch the thing with him and Ash on BBC? No, I still haven't. Oh my God. I'm a bad fan. Yeah. <laughs> I love uh, Bifo. Yeah, it was wild. Um... It's funny because I thought it was interesting because like Ash was on there talking about fully automated luxury communism. And like in some ways, yeah, Bifo's for luxury, but he's for degrowth. Like he's not he's not like a techno utopian guy from reading this. No. Yeah. Um, fair enough. Yeah. And like for context, Bifo also started off like running pirate radio and stuff. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think he's entirely like anti technology in a communication per se way, but kind of. Yeah. I think it's a very complicated relationship basically he's got with technology and I think A it's cuz he's kind of old. Yeah. And B I think it is pretty valid. Yeah. Um I don't have a lot more to state, but let's no. face it it is one awful dystopian world that one very large company controls how a lot of us tend to talk to each other namely the like facebook who also own whatsapp that's like so much of the world's communication controlled by one company yeah um and i think on principle we should always be suspicious of anything along those lines yeah yeah yeah. that's true i mean and then what's a bifo does um he might be for like not like more and more like consumption but he is Mm. for like you said repurposing technology to like free just free people up uh, like in whatever way we can um but yeah what did you think of the uprising i mean okay so i feel like the book's always split into two halves yeah the first half is very much uh focusing on explaining capital and explaining the eu which yeah more on that later yeah um and then the second half he really gets into his poetry stuff and it's very much talking about language and complexity of meaning and loss of meaning and significance and then concluding on a weird like 20 odd pages which don't seem to fit with the rest of the book but like yeah. <laughs> are a good read yeah um on like irony and just he gets really into Deleuze and Guattari which yeah fine we've all done it but um and also <laughs> I felt very much like it was lots of separate essays so for anyone who would want to read it I don't think you have to read it as a full text you definitely could split it into chapters and read as you like yeah um, hello yeah. brexit <laughs> yeah chapter oh, yeah. one yeah that was the really weird thing is that he keeps talking about europe and he keeps talking about european society and i'm like what the fuck like i didn't know like people actually did this you know like, i'm so like talking about europe as a thing i thought this was a thing that like fascists did you know talking about western civilization but like mm-hmm. he was like he's like really big on like europe being uh 
a political project. And then, yeah, so like the intro is like, in 2011, European society entered into a deep crisis that seems to me much more of a crisis of social imagination than mere economics. Economic dogma has taken hold of the public discourse for three decades and has destroyed the critical power of political reason. So yeah, he's just talking about how, you know, economics has fucked it, Thatcherism has fucked it, neoliberalism has fucked it, and everything sucks now. And yeah, it's, he's, he's talking about imagination, you know, where uh, he's saying like the, the rulers, uh, the people, so like the financiers, the financial people who run everything, they know what they're doing. That anyone else is trying to do anything we're not taking a deep enough look at what's happening there but yeah um and he kind of like gets to, he, he brings up his idea of like semio capitalism and like capitalism i think it's his term semio capitalism it's sort of this idea mm -hmm. that capitalism's like now it's like disembodied and global it's not really connected to anything it's just like a bunch of yeah. signs there's no relation between money being produced on like the stock market or wall street and the and with like stuff on the ground or like people's skills or like their jobs like there's just like no relation between like financial you know financial signifiers of like a healthy economy like growth gdp etc and regular life they're just they're just completely separated and he's saying yeah. that that's from like semio capitalism yeah i mean that that largely makes sense to me it makes sense it's kind of how i've always understood it yeah. And frankly, also how I've always kind of been taught it, even if it wasn't a deliberately, like, capital capitalist, <laughs> neoliberal critique sort yeah. of thing. Like, America decided to get rid of the gold standard, and then money yeah. became magic. Yeah, money's like, fake now. Essentially, yeah. it's like just a symbol. Um, and it's not based on anything, and that's why none of it really makes any sense. Yeah. Um, I remember being like a kid um, and asking my dad, who is an accountant, hmm. wait, but if the paper <laughs> is just a paper saying yeah. that the money's owed yeah. and there's not actually Harry Potter Gringotts style banks with gold vaults, hmm. why can't we just fix everything because none of it's real? Hmm. Um, and... There was no good answer for this, but ultimately <laughs> yeah. we could just fix it because none of it's real. Yeah. Um, is my continued understanding is... Yeah, they could just print the money, save the world, but they choose not to. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, Speculation. So, yeah. And so, like, in the, he starts to, like, introduce, like, a few, a few more concepts. He's really big mm -hmm. on, like, feminine and masculine uh, essentialism. So, like... I guess maybe essentialism, but just like ideas of feminine energy and masculine energy. Um, yeah. And like you're saying like the masculine force of political reason is just like not understanding how like complex and multi-layered like life is and like how, you know, we there's just like, I guess like, you know, there's just all these Oxfordian debaters trying to like debate the shit out of everything where that is actually just not helping anything because you're all like dumb men. Who are like quantifying these like problems that are happening in society with like facts and reason and not really looking at like the lived experiences of what people are going through and like not looking past like the stats and that kind of thing. Uh, but something interesting he says on page 15 is he starts talking about the swarm and he says in conditions of social hyper complexity human beings tend to act as a swarm 
When the infosphere is too dense and too fast for a conscious elaboration of information, people tend to conform to shared behavior. Social life in the semio-capital sphere is becoming a swarm. In a swarm, it is not impossible to say no. It is irrelevant. And I think that really speaks to just like online life. Like you kind of just have to do what everyone else is doing. And if you're just like, I'm not going to do that because I'm above that. It's just like, sure, there's not going to change the swarm. Yeah, it's like the classic, oh, what if I quit the internet? Yeah. No one cares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but I think it's also like, it's very relevant to like, our attitudes towards work is very like, well, you have to work and you kind of have to work like this because that's kind of what everyone does. And if you don't conform to that, life just becomes so much harder for you because everyone has the same mindset. There's no actual like logical yeah. reason for it becoming harder aside from people are like, but why aren't you just doing what everyone else does? Hmm. Um, uh, at least that's how it feels. And now I've said it out loud, I feel like I'm like, one of those like guys who's like just couch surfs <laughs> like a 17 year old who's like well, work's dumb I'm never gonna work work is kind of dumb but it's also yeah. kind of fine yeah I think working to some extent is a part of the human experience just not in the gigantic manufactured way hmm. or like the super so like he speaks a lot about how isolated work is in like he's like the cognitive labor we do is like isolating um well the cognitive labor a lot of people do is isolating and like it's stressful he talks about uh uh misery is based on cultural conformism of the nuclear family just like he just brings it in there like new like the nuclear family shit and then he doesn't say much else and then the secluded privacy of individual existence he's just like yeah we're all like we're all fucked up in um the way that we've sorted uh sorted out society is just like designed to make you miserable and like do dumb stuff like do continue like yeah. problematic behavior Bifo was like really on like like mothers mothering their children and he's just like they shouldn't be doing like this waged labor it's just dumb um he has like a yeah he like does an example of like people from like women from Nairobi and uh, Manila in the Philippines and Africa going to like New York and London to like be nannies for like women who who have like wage like cognitive labor jobs and it's just like this is obviously the most ridiculous shit ever and like I kind of feel but yeah it's just weird it's just weird isn't it like and it's just like a waste but it's just like a hard paradigm to shift out of like at that point he does like um sorry yeah just jumping all over the place he has like this uh (laughs) a uh, plan where he's like what well, the what we should do is um he basically says like we need to uh, open up our borders and like accept like a lesser standard of life and that is the only way like we can like sort out what is happening but yeah yeah i find it really weird yeah right on the sort of borders note where yeah. Bifo, if you reflect upon today's current political climate Hmm. Right? A lot of what Bifo says mirrors a lot of the sort of language used both by British people and I think by Italian people as a like suspicion of the financial side 
of the EU. Yeah. Um, in the European Monetary, whatever it's called. Yeah. I've just totally blanked on its name and just kept thinking International Monetary Fund. I think Not it's that. European Central Bank. Yes. Yeah. European Central Bank. And a lot of what he's saying is basically they control everything. It's weird that bankers and economists are controlling so much of basically state life rather than the state. Yeah. Um, and that sounds a lot like what a lot of people who want to leave the EU say is this sort of, you know, we're just subjects of Germany, basically, in yeah. France. And we should and he leave says that because in this they're book. controlling He's, everything. He, he literally sa yeah. says that. Yeah. But then he also definitely has a strong sense of Europeans should stick together. Yeah. We all should be looking after each other and borders are bullshit. Yeah. So it's very interesting because obviously he's this is just at the start of any sort of leading sentiment because obviously Greece yeah. has happened. Yeah, 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 Greece has just happened. And like yeah, he says in the book, like uh about halfway through he says Germ like he says, Everyone in Europe is sad. You know, it's not sad the Germans. You know why? Because German banks are full of our time. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah like you're yeah you're right he 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 reflects like almost like what farage says like yeah, yeah. and i was like yeah. oh, oh <laughs> reading this makes me think maybe maybe the eu is bad yeah because it is right it is really weird yeah that a load of economists control how a lot of things work when that's not really their job <laughs> i have i've not become that person entirely but it, it was an interesting thing to sort of have read by someone you really respect as super left wing because I think at the moment it's become really hard to have that sort of discussion because yeah. you become someone who hates immigrants yeah. and stuff and even me saying mm -hmm. this I can now see people just being like do you want Brexit and that's not what I'm saying at all I just I think it's a valid point for people to have as a criticism of the European Central Bank. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, <laughs> um, like... EU laws are fine. They're, like... It's cool that we have things that regulate science and trade and yeah. get rid of borders. That's cool, but... Banks, suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, what is... Um, so, like, the subtitle of the book is On Poetry and Finance. He spends a lot of the book talking about poetry and finance so yeah he sets up this uh idea of like europe europe's in crisis and you know the economics is fucked economic economists are stupid um they don't understand how complicated life is we're living under like he's just like mathematics is ruling everything why why is maths ruling everything maths cannot you know um it cannot understand it cannot uh what's it communicate the multi-layeredness of of human life which is obviously true um but yeah he's just saying that you know you know just like in i guess like it's that new dark age stuff where it's just like yeah. every like there's data there's algorithms like it's like yeah you can like record this stuff but like having our whole lives based on this stuff rather than like human intuition um it's just fucking everything up making everyone feel like shit yeah. i think paul mason's got a book coming out on this it's called like it's called like in in praise of the human being or like 
um, you know, trust is something along the lines of just like humans are good. Let's stop, you know, let's stop acting like we don't need humans to do stuff. Um, you know, we need to trust like the human intuition and stuff. But anyway, what he so he goes on to say um, on page like twenty six, what has poetry got to do with finance? Nothing, of course. Investors, stockholders, and bankers are usually too busy, so they don't waste their time with poetry. And poets are too poor to invest their money in the stock market. He's saying like, what? This doesn't make any sense. Why am I conflating these two things? He's saying, uh, he goes on to say that like, poetry is like kind of like the opposite of uh, financial authoritarianism, what he calls it. He says that the market has like reduced language into like this exchange, this thing that we use to like do market exchanges with each other. It's no longer this thing where we can actually feel things or like think of new feelings and new sensations or even know how other people are feeling or able to empathize with them. Um, so yeah, do, is that something that, this is something that I think you've spoken about before, you know, I think you said Bifo talks about how we've become more like computers and less poetic. Yeah, I, I, I literally, every time I read this sort of thing, all I can think about is like consent dialogues, hmm. which is bad. And I guess I should probably write about that at some point <laughs> um, and come back to it at a later date rather than just focusing on it. But it's that classic, like, I guess we started talking about Brexit, so I'm going to continue to. It's the classic, everyone who said yes, remain. And everyone who said leave has so many different meanings. And mm. yet it was a binary question, which ultimately is a computer question. Yeah. Yes, no, on, off. Yeah. Um, and was not a fair question to ask because words do not have one meaning, hmm. um, which ultimately is what a lot of Bifo's writing points towards yeah. is appreciating that words don't have one meaning and that's absolutely fine. If anything, it is better for all of us that things have multiple meanings and that we allow them to have multiple meanings hmm. because you want things sometimes to have more than one meaning. Hmm. Um, yeah. But we're slowly moving into a world where we want things to have one Sing, meaning. Sing, and I'm yeah. on a little brain train where I start thinking about memes again. So I'm just <laughs> going to stop there. No, yeah, I agree. And I think the Brexit um, whole shit can be seen as like an example of like semioism or like semio-capitalism where leave or remain, people didn't really think much of the policies other than in like, they just like thought about immigration. And Leave and Remain became more like symbols of like different things. The Remain campaign where it's a bit more obvious to like maybe people our age, like the symbol of it is like, oh, you know, modern, European, good looking, uh, bourgeois people. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to be like the people on like American apparel adverts? You know, like that's what that's what <laughs> that's what Remainers are like. You don't want to be like the guys with pints on their heads like the Leavers. You know, like this, these kind of like these notions, like it's almost like yeah. we're, they were communicated solely through like, you know, almost like language of advertising, maybe like. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. It's also the, the fascinating nuance of the book is that whilst he he puts poetry and finance at the opposite sort of sides of the spectrum, mm. he also says that the way that finance <laughs> has lost meaning in its Marxist sense. So labor no longer is based on 
time and effort basically yeah and well value of labor is basically no longer based on actual labor Hmm. and time it's based on imagined value yeah um and thus has lost meaning and any definitive thing i think he basically is trying to say that that's very similar to um like the romantic wave of poetry and beyond yeah. where you're sort of seeking to find those multiple meanings but ultimately you can pretty much say anything as metaphor is and pretend that it means what you want it to mean yeah um you could say that the sun was as bright as the shimmering street lamp at noon means nothing but also you have put it into a sentence and thus it has meaning and i think he's kind of saying that that's very similar to how finance is working yeah in that it only has meaning if someone tells you it has meaning because they've told you how to interpret it yeah but ultimately can be meaningless yeah um basically i feel like some of it he disses on poetry a lot which is weird because i also don't think that's necessarily like his stance on poetry yeah largely because he is italian <laughs> yeah no yeah um, I, I, I think it's i think that is i think he's saying that it's like it can be seen like that but i don't think i don't think his like conclusion is that poetry is bad i think his conclusion is that like poetry is like it poetry is radical because it, yeah yeah um because yeah it still has those other meanings yeah um Um, yeah and it can't just be and it's not financial like poetry is not something yeah it's very like there there aren't poets that make money you know like it's it's almost like the it's almost like the symbolic opposite in some ways um but yeah that made me think of young Han a bit you know psychopolitics Mm, yeah Uh, this book made me really think of that a lot um Almost like poetry is like an act of idiocy, you know, like Byung Chul Han's yeah. like we need to commit acts of idiocy to like get out of this like achievement subject thing. And like poetry is almost like an act of idiocy in the context of like the free market. Um, mm. Because I, I don't know if uh, Byung Chul Han s- spoke about idiocy. He, he spoke about like friendship as well, like friendship not mediated by uh, like some sort of achievement project at the same time. It was almost like, yeah, just like nurturing friendship, that kind of thing. And like poetry could could easily fit into that. Um, It it just felt like part of like the same brand, you know, like. Yeah. um, It's it's just nice. Yeah, it's like it's just like another way to defy the logic of the market, maybe. Yeah, no, definitely. I just, um, again, thinking about memes <laughs> go on uh well be, yeah, yeah because um for context for the listeners before this we had a very in-depth <laughs> conversation about how multifaceted memes can be and that's i mean they are chaotic energy on the internet largely yep. um until they're eventually co-opted by denny's for an advert hmm. um <laughs> uh but essentially they always have multi layered meanings especially like 
where we are now, which is like memes have like references to three other memes before you can really understand them, but you kind of do because that's how they work. Yeah. Um, but they kind of you don't have to know that, and in a similar way, they basically are thus poetry. Yeah. In that, they have the base level image, and usually word or description to image. Yeah. Or image sound to just display that and then you have context or repurposing so you could take a meme and do your own version of it where it's slightly off Mm. and that's like parodying it and I guess empathizing with it or making fun of it um uh, and yeah I don't know I just am thinking a lot about chaotic energy and that as our sort of current poetry I agree and how it sort of stands in society yeah I was going to say that um, there is there's like a radical vulnerability in a lot of memes like a lot of like depression memes like a lot of memes are on this level of depression um, yeah that is like consistent with like the exhaust of living in like uh, semi-capitalism or capitalism where you know you stress out all the time um, that's, there's like a radical vulnerability that is like mirrored in a lot of poetry like you know like Sylvia yeah. Plath or some shit like that like there's like a, a level of like just like suicidal mood you know like in a lot of memes that could like that that breaks through how how uh, emotionally strict or like emotionally uh uh how or how uh much lack of emotion there is in like general market activity you know it's all and like you can't do it memes you don't sell or buy the only thing is you have to have data or wi-fi to access them like you know they they function in a really similar way to poetry yeah yeah there's something in there as a thought yeah i also every time we talk about poetry and especially whenever beef is talking about like becoming computers and his crisis of if you're learning language from computers surely you talk like a computer and you should learn from your mother blah 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 um which is a funny statement but i think kind of like a a valid point Hmm. um you do see like a lot of the online debate that people have these days is basically things not being black and white and it lacks a sort of logic that um, things things aren't mm. um, like people you know well you didn't say that and people are like oh but I kind of meant it I just didn't fully think it through yes obviously that's a way that people get out of some shitty things but also mm. it's kind of a valid statement like sometimes people do have slightly different understandings of what certain words mean mm. either because I don't know they're not speaking their their like native tongue or mm. like dialects yeah memes they've figured that a word means something different because they're that old they're a teenager so they they think one word means one thing and it doesn't mm. we've all been there um and i think yeah a lot of what capitalism forces us to do is sort of make things one thing and ignore that natural instinct to have empathy for people and yeah. and understand 
that uh, you know people are well intentioned they might yeah. not mean certain things and that gut instinct of what something means yeah i mean capitalism forced you to think of things as like things in themselves rather than as part of structures and mm. um so yeah like, i mean it contributes to like this like flippant distance which uh you get when you don't learn things from your mother and you learn them from reading stuff on the computer like um i i guess there is there is like a relation there but yeah it, it is just it is a funny thing to say um yeah i think like that there is something in that flippant distance you know you see a lot of like white dudes on the internet um talk in this way as if like victims of atrocities are just like whatever they're just you know they're just it's almost like meaningless like it's meaningless in a way that you know like it almost is just like do you have parents or family or <laughs> anything you know like, uh, yeah yeah um but yeah um i thought just to go on to the next bit he says that um okay this is like page 30 something but he says uh this is where he equates like neoliberalism to uh fascism and he knows that like i know this is ridiculous of me to say he says like it would be ludicrous to say that uh goldman sachs uh and consultants of the european central bank uh bank uh or the chancellor of germany are nazis they don't look like sadistic murderers um but they want to peacefully submit the european population to mathematical slavery which is clean smooth and perfect so like yeah he's just saying that yeah these people they seem you know they seem like straight laced suited up people they they believe in gay rights they believe in like equal race stuff um but on the lower they're actually fascist because that is the outcome of like neoliberal policy is you know like fascist shit happening yeah, yeah. which is just like really nice like to someone before i actually say it like yeah 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 um to lead on from your fascism stuff, yeah. I'm going to take us like about 30 pages onwards. Yeah, do it. Um, to his bit where he starts talking about futurism. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to know what you thought of his s- slightly potentially problematic uh, viewpoint that basically fascism is a result of trying to wipe out femininity. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't he saying that like uh, fascism is like youthful masculine energy yeah um, I was listening to something about how fascism is just like young men I think it was like the Russell Brand podcast with that Cambridge professor or something uh, but yeah like it's like this youthful masculine energy and like um, I mean there's maybe something in that I wouldn't say youthful masculine energy I would say youthful masculine energy that has been directed elsewhere through mass media and like uh you know i don't think that's like the natural yeah. uh i think it can be easily co-opted because of the way uh what's it manliness is taught to be you know i feel it's like a like i feel like masculinity in like in society is it's like a neurosis isn't it it's like it's like a mental disorder where one yeah. is easily enraged they're easily um humiliated because of these ideas of stature or all these things so yeah you can't say it is, you know, that masculinism gone awry and dominate and like wanting to get rid of like the feminine. But like, 
So now it's hard to be like essentialist about masculinity and femininity when they're like everything's like prescribed by society. It's just like, yeah, I mean, but like it does make sense. Like, you know, the f- femininity, like the caring aspect of yeah. the human experience is like is wiped out in order to you know facilitate fascism. What did you yeah. think? No, I. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing. Not a particularly radical statement to basically be like fasc- fascism and futurism could only come from men. Yeah. Um. And it's all traditionally masculine sort of traits and stuff. Yeah. Um. I just I thought it was. It was an interesting turn for the book to sort of be taking. Yeah. As a like. Okay, now I'm going to link fascism to futurism, which obviously is like a clear link. Um, and then draw it into this sort of masculine feminine in a way that I think is possibly lost on us as people who speak English. Yeah. Rather than a language that has a lot more of that in. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like I think if you speak Italian or French or Spanish. Yeah. And I guess German as well, where you have so much inherently built into sort of this like masculine feminine thing. I feel like whenever I read Bifo, I feel like if I had that additional level of understanding, maybe some of it would carry a bit better. Hmm. Um, Not necessarily in this particular instance, but just as a general whole, I think this like deep understanding of things as masculine and feminine. Yeah. I think has a slightly softer meaning maybe than it does in English because yeah, you we might don't be right. have that linguistic idea of it. Yeah. It's really it's really funny, isn't it? It's almost like it's like this strange, like non sequitorial thing where stuff is just described female or male, like and it's just funny, isn't it? It's like it's like a layer yeah. of like jokiness to the language yeah, that we don't have in the closest we get is boats are all she's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've I've thought a lot about that by that point in the book. I was like, would this have deeper meaning <laughs> if we spoke a different language? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, again, is kind of what he's getting at, though. Hmm. So, proved his point. Um, um, I also noticed on the same page that I highlighted that, he says that Charlie Chaplin's death is the start of the next bit of human life. Oh, my God, I wrote that as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you must be on 93. Uh, yeah. Yeah. On page ninety-three, he starts talk going off. He, the king goes off on nineteen seventy-seven. He's like, Charlie Chaplin died. The Sex Pistols saying there's no future. The whole everything was fucked up, you know. <laughs> and like everyone started getting competitive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, just bringing it back to the uh, what's it? The fascism of like neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. Neoliberalism is like fascist hell because of like this mathematical like dictatorship we live under, and also in every part of life, all the time everyone is competitive and that's just like fascist hell because you know everyone is like everyone just hates each other because they're just like if you meet someone and like under neoliberalism when you meet someone and they do something similar to you you're just like fuck you fuck you fuck you i need to be better than you at the shit that you do and that i do at the same you know like it's like we're both like in we're both artists you know like and that's like the most i feel like i, I mean it was more when i was younger i'd have this feeling but if you met other people doing similar art to you and it was if it was really good, you'd just be like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I wish I was that good. And if it was worse than you, it's just like, ha ha, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you suck. You know, like, it's almost like <laughs> this competitive, this competitive, like, uh, individualism is just like, it's just like, 
fucking everywhere and it's just like hard to evade it because everything is a competition yeah, yeah. no entirely yeah it's it's really sucky because yeah. there's some things that i can stay i'm like I probably did that because there was just a bit of me that was like, I can do that better than you. <laughs> yeah. It's such a like neoliberal <laughs> thing to think. Yeah. Um, it's not the worst thing to think, I guess, <laughs> in the context. Um, this is like partly forming a band. I just, me and a friend were just at a show and we were like, we could do this so much better. Everything's <laughs> boring. Um, uh, and that's fine. I, I feel like that's the lesser of two evils here. Yeah, yeah. Which was me not... overcoming neoliberalism, alternatively crushing you and telling you can't do anything. Yeah. Which is the flip side of if you're not in the competition, you're afraid of the competition. Mm. He kind of like goes into this whole like, um, this lack of solid. What do you say? I was going to say, I mean, these few pages, they're great and all kind of entirely true, but it does read like a conspiracy theory. Yeah, hell yeah. But um, I kind of love it for, the, for that. I uh, love it. He was like, Charlie Chaplin died and Apple trademarked Apple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was Coincidence, sick. I think not. Yeah. Yeah, coincidence, um. I think <laughs> No, yeah. <laughs> um, that was so fucking funny. Uh, yeah. But like, and then, yeah, he's just like, yeah, so fucking funny. Yeah, and obviously the no yeah. future. No future. No future. And it was from 1977. We no longer had a future. Um, and yeah, he talks about... What's it? The And then yeah, he talks about everyone's competitive now. No one has any solidarity. Um, and like, you know, the Thatcher, no such thing as society has become like a self-fulfilling thing. Uh, yeah. Like he says, like the because of this like the present situation is paradoxical simultaneously it's exciting and despairing capitalism has never been so close to its final collapse but social solidarity has never been so far from our daily experience and like yeah um and then he goes on to talk about how uh, uh mark zuckerberg in the social network is like a freak <laughs> who doesn't have any friends and that is why we're all screwed <laughs> <laughs> he then just briefly reviews the film yeah, he reviews and the continues film, like... on. <laughs> yeah. um, there's some really weird bits of this, but like it mostly makes yeah. sense. But there is a few bits where you're like, really? Yeah. Like, um, I if I were to jump back a few pages, yeah. I bookmarked what he wrote about on page fifty-four and fifty-five. Um, his definition of solidarity, because it really touched me. Well, what did he say? Um, solidarity has nothing to do with the altruistic self-denial. Um, in materialistic terms, solidarity is not about you, it's about me. Hmm. Like love, solidarity is not about altruism. It is about the pleasure of sharing the breath and space of the other. Love is the ability to enjoy myself thanks to your presence, to your eyes. Um, this is solidarity, because solidarity is based on the territorial proximity of social bodies. You cannot build solidarity between fragments of time. Yeah. Um, beautiful. And it was, it was just beautiful. It's yeah. such a nice turn of sort of phrase. Um, yeah. But he's sort of expressing this sort of like... He says this before he gets onto his Facebook critique. Yeah. 
but I think ultimately what he sort of tries to get at throughout the book is I think a fear of this with nev- never getting into preachy kids never talk to each other they only talk <laughs> to each other online I think that's essentially kind of what he gets at is that we no longer are able to because of the way the world is now constructed A because of competition and B because of computers yeah well granddad um, uh, <laughs> yeah no yeah yeah no I agree um, so yeah the the, that that definition of solidarity had like a really like body to body like emphasis yeah. and i feel like we're in an age now where like that's just fucking gross you know like as as like a yeah. refle- as a reflex just to be like body to body with someone in like a in a solidarity way which i think is what i think that is a required component of solidarity is touch um i think he's right there it's just like so unnatural to us now and yeah, I mean, yeah, and like that's kind of like he says like um, the opposite to this body-to-body uh, solidarity is contact on Facebook. Like the, he's just say, he says like this is like the opposite of it, you know it's the simio it's it's the signifier it's just not the actual thing and like a lot of what he's saying in this book feels like live real life uh, <laughs> make real life real life again my next tattoo <laughs> yeah. my first tattoo <laughs> uh, no um, yeah I totally agree I think yeah. um, to throw an anecdote in there I know some people who see someone unadding you as a friend on Facebook as the biggest like it's almost I've seen it phrased as like an abusive thing. Oh shit. Or at least traumatic. Yeah. Um and whilst I understand in some contexts, definitely mm. very not a good person move. Like it's someone you're really you were really close with and you never had that conversation, it's a bit of a dick move, you know? Yeah. But largely like I think it's fine for you to not keep people that you haven't seen for six years on Facebook that you only met a handful of times or was in your maths class hmm. but you never really plan on seeing again yeah um and it really like basically the way he phrased it really made me think about that sort of like falsehood of friendship and connection that the internet perpetuates and hmm. this like needing to stay in contact with people and it's like do we though hmm. Hmm. um and it's like a false solidarity, right? Having friends on Facebook. Yeah. Like, oh, I've got loads of friends, so loads of people are friends. Hmm. But, I mean, how many of those people do you actually, like, would you phone? Hmm. I think. How many of those people would you phone if something bad happened? Yeah. And I think that's your actual list. Yeah. I think the... I think there's also an element to the online, uh, online fr- non the online non friends friends, uh, is that it makes you exhausted of people, in a way yeah. that it's hard to do the f- real life friend thing. So you're you're almost like constantly unsatisfied because you're just like fuck. There's so many people in my newsfeed. I don't give a fuck about. And then when you're in real life, you're like so overwhelmed by all of these people. That you you know intimately, like so you're pseudo intimately, 
and when you see real people in real life you're just like fuck my head is full of all this shit and now i'm not in a state where i want to make any friends or socialize yeah and also like how do you socialize if (laughs) without sounding like an awful person no i agree agree, everything online how do you socialize i like i really consciously tried to stop putting loads of stuff on facebook a because it's really weird if someone you don't consider like a close friend comes up to you and is like oh i saw you did this the other day and you're like how do you know that and you're like oh because because i put it on instagram right um but also like it's just good to meet up with your friends and them tell you that story rather than you like read it through 15 text messages that you don't properly process because you've got like a load of other stuff to go on and brains don't seem to process screens quite as well as face-to-face contact yeah yeah i feel nice to have things to talk about yeah no yeah i agree um yeah it's it's really weird how like i feel like this this book came out in 2011 and it's just weird how well a lot of it held up and like yeah right i wonder what his so he's got another book coming out that's come out called the second coming which feels like the sequel to this um so it'd be interesting like to read that we'll probably read that next or second to next um yeah but yeah it's it's just really funny you know like how foreboding all the stuff was with europe and stuff was i just wanted to say like on the on the end um Mm. where he's just like starts talking about irony and cynicism (laughs) and he's just like he's just like uh cynicism broke irony woke um because like uh i mean we talked about it a bit in the in the jd taylor book you know like cynicism is just like it's like irony but it kind of reflects all the power back to the status quo it's like haha you're gonna try this shit good luck asshole whereas like irony is good because it just like opens up um you know opens up new possibilities but like i don't feel that strongly towards irony as like this like radical thing um no I, I always align myself to post irony because I feel like irony is still quite mean. Yeah, I agree. Um, but like, yeah, did you have like, I don't know why he just like went to that. And then he called the last chapter sleep and started talking about uh, what's it? People who are ironic can sleep well. And then people who are cynical don't sleep because they're always under the stress of power. Like it was so weird <laughs> yeah. as a like final few pages that I'm not really sure where it points, but honestly, I've my master's dis- dissertation took a very similar route, and I was reading it, and I was like, "Oh, this is what reading my work would have been like," mm. which is terrible <laughs> as a thing to read of someone who is a far better writer than you and start thinking. But um, yeah, essentially, mine pivoted to if you don't give a shit about anything, fascism will take over. Yeah. And it read as a very similar sort of like, okay, we're going to talk about this, this, this. And well, now that's what you said in yours. End of poetry. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Like, And I had not read this. Yeah. I think he's read, he wrote another essay, possibly, that was on that. Right. And I feel like maybe this either is taken from that or was that... I basically felt like I'd kind of read it, but not in as much depth as this. You just you just read this conclusion like, 
he totally ripped me off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, for me, a yeah. logical conclusion to why is neoliberalism bad mm. is it makes you not care about anything. Yes. You don't really understand anything because you've lost poetry. Yeah. And when you don't really care about anything, you become cynical and cynicism is like the root of all evil. Yeah. Cyn- yeah it just and it's really easy for bad people to co-op. Damn. You really, really uh, nailed it. Really nailed it. <laughs> but I did just, it's such a, it's very, very bundled on the edge. And bless him, I'm not sure it was worth it. <laughs> Oh, like, mean... I loved it, but it needed to be a bit longer than it actually was for it to make any form of sense in the context of the rest of the book. I mean, you, you mean the whole book, The Uprising? No. You mean the, just the ending? Uh, from about page 51 onwards. Yeah. Where he's just like, so I read this book called Chaos... Yeah. Chaosmosis? <laughs> Chaosmos? Um, by Guitari. Yeah. And damn, it changed my entire life so much so that I'm going to write ten whole pages that conclude my book about it. Yeah. Um, which is fine, but very weird. Yeah. And so, like, um, I, I guess, like, I've got a couple of questions for... Yes. ...about the book. Um, so, yeah, like you said, uh, neoliberal, neoliberalism makes you stop caring about everything because everything's competition stressful and like you're less like you're you're only connected to signifiers and you're not actually connected to stuff on the ground anymore um so poetry as uh, a tool of idiocy alongside these other things yeah it's a good way to you know re he's he, he almost sees poetry as like this like ignition to uh, making people feel things again because like and burn shit yeah he really wants you to go and burn some stuff he does. Yeah, page <laughs> hundred thirty-two. Yeah, he basically is like psychopathic violence is therapy therapy for people who've been suffering under capitalism. Oh yeah, one of the funnier turns of phrase. Yeah, but so like he kind of anyway. he kind of like paints this picture of like we need to start doing these sensitive art practices, social practices in order to like re-engage ourselves with things that are happening in our communities and on the ground and not the CMEO. Do you feel this is what we should be doing? Um, it's a little bit folky, may, isn't it? May, maybe. Yeah. I'm, I'm always suspicious of how privileged it is to say that art will change everything. <laughs> yeah. I think it's incredibly idealistic. And I know that that's never entirely what people mean. And it is art is the best way to not be involved in capitalism, but it's not very practical Hmm. for the average working person. Yeah. I guess he's not, Um, he's not, yeah. I think he means art in a more like inconsequential art therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Including like, I don't like, like something that is like, um, I think it's as basic as writing birthday cards to people. Exactly, yeah. Like, in his eyes. Like, I don't think it's a big capital A-R. Yeah. But I think it's very easily interpreted as that. Yeah. Um, Which is why it's like a yes and no. Hmm. I think making sure that we all basically have 
some form of the arts, maybe. Yeah. Um, and some attachment to, I guess, the soul. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is also what's kind of being get gotten at is is important. Yeah, it's a, I guess like the arts and community. Yeah. Actually, yeah, they're they're linked, aren't they? Like. Yeah. I feel like local music, local nights, they have the these things are are things that re engage you know, re engage like things on the ground. Yeah. It's as it, it's just as an important protest to make sure that you go out every Friday night and dance hmm. as uh, creating life changing art. Yeah. Do you like because like, I agree with his, I agree with him when he says, um, yeah, neoliberalism is bad. They're not going to fix it um, because they don't know how to fix it because uh, these people think maths is the only way to do things and they don't believe in these other layers of life. Um, and, you know, we are being deprived of these other layers of life. Therefore, getting back these layers of life may potentially change you know other things um it feels a little it's like light it's like it's like light advice you know like it's not like it, it but it feels I don't know it feels appropriate like yeah yeah i i and just like yeah just valuing I mean, we're, I guess, like, we're a bit, we're, we're, you know, he's preaching to the choir to us because, like, we kind of, this is kind of, like, intuitive to, you know, MA arts grads. Um, but. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's about making sure that, yeah, the people who think that are yeah. lowercase doesn't yeah. apply to them. Yeah. It's sort of people who are like, oh, I work in a boring office job. Mm. Art, gal art galleries aren't for me and yeah. I don't like going to see shows and I'm too old to go to a disco every yeah. night you know yeah um and obviously there are so many other ways to engage in that kind of thing I mean mm. you've kind of got television um and film mm. but you've also got yeah making sure that you I don't know make nice food and sing along to your favourite songs um, and I think I think art is about that interaction with other people so making sure that there's there's other people to engage with 